hello and welcome to episode 179 of the 1099 for the week of December 17th, 2018. I am your host, Josiah Renaudin, and dear God, here we go again. Welcome to the 2018-1099 Game of the Year Spectacular, powered by coffee and hundreds of hours of playing video games. This year, we are back with the full crew. We're back with a way too big list of games that we're going to try to sort through. And for anyone, just before I introduce everyone... Uh, this is not maybe the standard game of the year show where everyone's played every single game and we're all going to come to the exact same conclusion that this is the, <laughs> the no doubt objective game of the year or any shit like that. Uh, there's going to be games that one of us has played and three of us hasn't, maybe two and two or everyone's played and we're super not agreeing on it. Half the fun is just making a case for the games that meant something to each one of us individually this year and trying to organize that list in some capacity. Uh, before I explain any more, let's, let's talk about who's here because we have a full crew and a returning crew first from Feminist Frequency, formerly GameSpot, and a medley of amazing podcasts, someone who talks about games way smarter than I do, Carolyn Pettit. Carolyn, how are you doing today? Hey, hi. I'm doing good, thanks. Good to be here. I feel like we just did this. Like, I feel like this just happened and we just... I know. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of a year. Like, I still play Universal Paperclips. Like, I'm a producer, so my job is to, like, get, you know, make sure people are doing the right thing. I Three people on my team lost an entire day to Universal Paperclips, and I blame all of you for bringing that into my life. But it's a really good video game. Uh, next, a game designer and writer for hits like Original Sin 2, Earth Knight, and Atlas Reactor, as well as the former czar of reviews at GameSpot, Kevin Van Ard. Kevin, how are you doing today? Uh-huh. Hello, I'm good. <laughs> How are you? Come to think of it, I think you just said said how you're doing, but uh... well, you know, it's it's one of those things when you have multiple guests, you end up just saying I'm great multiple times. Uh, Kevin, you're Indeed. approaching being like the most prolific 1099 guest at this point. I think this is a- like. Am I really close? Wow. You, you've had like three individual appearances, and I think two game of the years. This might be like the that's, sixth appearance for you. That's flattering. And today, I'm looking forward to everybody naming Divinity Original Sin two. <laughs> Uh, definitive edition as their game of the year. So thanks for coming together, everybody. Adding it to the list. I'll, I'll send you a trophy in the mail also for being like uh, MVP of the 1099. Do you want a trophy? Do you want a ribbon? Do you want like an autographed picture of my dog? What would be best? Cookies. Okay, deal. That'll probably, those yeah. will probably keep in the mail while I send them over. Uh, lastly, we have an author, podcaster, former game spotter, and a Splunky disciple, Tom McShay. Tom, how are you doing today? Good. It's 2013, so Spelunky's going to win again. Is it on this list right now? Because if you would have snuck it on, I wouldn't have actually. I think I would have just been like, okay, that's it's tradition at this point. Every year. Every year. Every single year. Uh, so I am going to read off this giant list of video games that... <laughs> okay, now there's, there's a lot of qualifiers for this. Some of these games didn't come out in 2018, but... Maybe there was a remaster, maybe it was an early access before and it kind of released this year, or maybe it's an early access now and release in 2020, who the hell knows. There's going to be a lot of weirdness with the list, but just bear with us. Uh, there's just certain games that we really thought were worth discussing right now and they should get their due now. Uh, and we're going to do, one person will nominate a game, make their case for it in usually less than five minutes, they'll explain why it's important. As long as everyone's cool with it, we put it on the initial list and we keep doing that in a circle for about three rounds and then we'll decide the order from there. Uh, the full list of nominees in, I was about to say no particular order, but it's totally an alphabetical order thanks to Tom, is Ashen, Celeste, Dead Cells, Donut County, 
Dragon Quest XI, Florence, Fortnite, Frostpunk, Full Metal Furies. It's Gree, right? It's not Gris. Is that it correct? It is Grease. It okay. is the Spanish word for gray. Okay. Someone was trying to convince me the S was silent because of French stuff, but okay. Uh, I'll have you say that every single time. Hollow Knight, Into the Breach, Moonlighter, Mother Gunship, Mutant Year Zero, Nino Kuni 2, NBA 2K19, Red Dead Redemption 2, Return of the Oberdeen, Spider-Man, Starlink, Tetris Effect, Thronebreaker, EA Sports UFC 3, Valkyria Chronicles 4, Vampire, 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 Yakuza 6, and Yoku's Island Express, and we reserve the right to add other games to this list that we hopefully remember. Uh, so, that's the full, it's the full list. Uh, and so, just so I don't put anyone else on the spot, I guess I'll start by nominating one. And what I'm going to nominate is Moonlighter. Has anyone here played Moonlighter? No. Nope. Is that the Michael Jackson game? <sighs> so Moonlighter is the game of the year, and let me explain why. So Moonlighter is one of those <laughs> games that came out of nowhere for me and was like, ah, oh, this looks like an interesting sort of roguelike, roguelite type of thing, uh, sort of a Zelda, classic Zelda perspective uh, with a really good loot loop. Um, and what I learned was it is this perfect loop between exploration, combat, and player growth. And I've always talked about how I want a new Dark Cloud game. I'm a huge fan of Level 5, and I was obsessed with Dark Cloud when I was younger. But when I was younger, I had this massive storage of free time being a very awkward homeschooled child. So there's all this stuff, there's all these moments where you're like, well, I might as well just play this dungeon for 100 floors and spend eight straight hours on this. Uh, and I would like to think as I got older, <laughs> more responsibilities started to pile up. And it's harder to find time for stuff like that. And Moonlighter is actually the Dark Cloud follow-up that I never really knew I wanted. Because it's not this massive, sprawling, endless 100-hour game. It's a game that combines the, the village building, the dungeon crawling, the combat, and the progression of something like Dark Cloud or Dark Cloud 2, but in this more condensed 20-hour package. And for me, with you know full-time job, dog father responsibilities and attempting to keep a social life that is exactly what i needed this year and i was addicted from the start the combat is fun fast it feels very fair there's a real reward if you if you decide like i just gonna try one more floor and see what's there see if the great items are there it, it's this game where you're the reason it's called moonlighter is your actual job is the shopkeeper and you're selling to everyone in the village but you moonlight as a dungeon crawler and when you go into this dungeon, you are collecting materials. And these materials have multiple purposes. They can either be used to build weapons, to advance your town, to... Uh, and mainly, like the one you actually were thinking about the most is you're selling them. And you're trying to find the right price for all these different materials. And in general, you're trying to just decide, is it worth selling this? Should I keep this to make a better sword so I'm stronger? And it's the actual merchant side of it is just as fun as the, the combat side of it. And as you keep going, it's a little bit rough at the start because you're trying to understand the right prices. You're trying to understand how do I balance all this. But as you get this flow going, it hits you with this loop that I couldn't stop until I, I think I beat it in like, it, it was in a few days because I just could not stop playing it. It is, uh, 
I would argue in almost all cases that games are too long, <laughs> too big, and it's it's hard to, there's like 8 billion open world games every single month that you want to play, but there's just so much filler. And Moonlighter is this perfect size that still makes you feel like there's so much to collect and so much to do. And when it was done, I wished there was a little bit more, but I mean that in a positive way. When I finished Spider-Man or Red Dead or uh, God of War or something like that, by the very end, I'll feel like, man, I wish that would have ended a few hours earlier. Moonlighter does not overstay its welcome. It is a charming game it is a fun game and it was the game that as soon as i played it and like i know i'm going to be on a podcast with tom and kevin and carolyn and arguing for this motherfucking game because i think it's the best thing that came out this year and that's my case okay i mean it's oh. hard for me to speak to it obviously since i haven't played it and i basically know nothing about it <laughs> um you know but if uh if the and generally speaking i'm i'm skeptical of like reward loops as mm -hmm. something that we should be um, uh, praising so much because, you know, I feel like a lot of games just do that. And that's like the thing that like Diablo, you know, sure. like it's all about that reward loop and they sort of they they get it down to a science and they try to make it as addicting as possible. And, you know, like it may work, it may be compelling, but I don't know that that makes it good. But um you know, I mean, this being the collaborative endeavor that it is, and this being the first game nominated, like, <laughs> uh, obviously, like, I don't object to it being in the running on the list. So I don't know if, yeah, if anyone else has thoughts, but. I, I think you forgot the most important thing about this game. Oh, God. It's on Switch. Oh, it is on Switch. <laughs> it recently released on Switch. November 5th. I was just looking it up because I was like, this sounds good if it's on Switch. It is so. on Switch. I played it on PS4, but yeah, it is worth yeah. it's worth playing on any console. But yeah, you should buy it on Switch. I, yeah, I support it. It, sound, it sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds a lot of fun. I mean, anything that reminds you of Dark Cloud has, has, has got to have something special about it, right? Yeah. Um, oh, it's so and, good. Uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily against a, a, a very good, tight uh, sort of serotonin-inducing reward loop if it's if it's not done in a way that I don't know if, if it's not done in a way that feels ex exploitive I I don't know exactly where those lines are drawn necessarily um, but if you didn't feel exploited even yeah. after you've considered it <laughs> then maybe I'll just uh, maybe I'll just let that one slide <laughs> but uh, yeah. it, it sounds lovely uh, it sounds like something I want to try now. Yeah, it's it, and I know we've talked about this with Overwatch and a few other games where there is that loop and where are the lines drawn. This this game feels it doesn't feel insidious and maybe maybe it somehow gets away with something that is insidious. I don't know, but it it scratches a very specific itch that I enjoy about games and it doesn't make me feel like I am just addicted to it or anything like that it's, it's hard to explain but i hope people give it a chance because i think moonlighter is rad so i'll at least for now put it on this secondary list we have and judging by the order of this call we'll go to the next person who's tom hello everybody <laughs> hello tom i've been so wondering why you gathered us all here <laughs> yes so today, or this year, 2018, was like the year of Metroidvanias. Um, I don't know if anyone else had a similar experience, but I played through a ton. There's 
Chasm, Dandara, Dead Cells, which is debatable, but it's Metrovania-ish. Guacamelee 2, Iconoclast, The Messenger, Time Spinner, Yoku's Island Express. Those are all the ones I played through this year, and they're all really good. Though I am forgetting one, which is like maybe the third or fourth best game ever made. (laughs) Have you guys heard of Hollow Knight? Oh, man. Uh, Yes. Uh, So there's, it got like the moniker, like 2D Dark Souls, which I've heard before. And it's I not. thought Salt and Sanctuary was yeah. the 2D Dark Souls. Uh, yeah, that's it comes up sometimes. Uh, so I played this game for like 45 minutes, and I was like, it's like black and whitish, and kind of, and I stopped. And then I went back, and I sunk like 60 hours into this game, and it is like, it is one of the most brilliant games I've ever played. It really gets that idea of Dark Souls, where you are terrified all the time, you don't know what's going to be in front of you, and they're just... Surprises upon surprises upon surprises, which I just love games like that. Where it has like relatively simple combat, so it's not like the push is unlocking stuff. The push is just, I want to see what's next. I want to see what other surprises there are. And then there's tons of branching paths and tons of optional bosses. Uh, so it's just, you kind of create your own adventure. So if you were to explain what you did, it would be it would be pretty different than what I did because it's, it's, it just goes in so many different directions. And it's just, like, it's absolutely brilliant in ways that I just did not expect because Dark Souls is one of my favorite games ever. And every game that has tried to be Dark Souls is like, we'll make a hard game that's obtuse. Uh, but that's not what makes Dark Souls great. Dark Souls is about the mystery. And it's about, like, finding beauty in dark places and it's and it's like Hollow Knight understands the intrinsic appeal so well and just translate it into this beautiful game all its own that I am like I'm stunned by. It. I think this is the second time we've done this game of the year where I had a new like in my top ten all times and Brolio was the other one. But like it just it just feels so good to like play a game and be like, Oh, I still have the same love I had when I was ten years old and I was you know, had one game every six months and wholly put myself into it like i still have that same love at 37 years old with like a child and and stuff like i can still do this stuff and it just hollow knight brought it that all back in ways i was not expecting so uh, i like it i think it's pretty good yeah so i i spent i don't know maybe eight hours playing that game and um i guess you know uh, the original dark souls was was a game sort of, I guess, like your experience with Hollow Knight, where I played it for a while. I, you know, I liked it, but it didn't totally click with me. I put it aside, and then I had to review it for GameSpot on the PC. And then, so I sort of had to push through, you know, my my sort of indifference to it. And at a certain point, it clicked, and it was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And I didn't get to that point with Hollow Knight where it clicked for me in that way. You know, I... I sort of it felt kind of aimless I, I spent a lot of time being like okay I'm not really sure where I'm supposed to go next or what I'm supposed to do and you know at a certain point it just I put it aside and I just didn't come back to it but um I can see how you know it it, it, it may be a game that if I did continue with it and you know got to a certain point with it that then it would really get its hooks in me and I and I wouldn't be able to stop playing can I bring up one point that you brought up so you brought up the point that like, the first eight hours you were lost. Um, yeah. Which, which I, com- yeah, 
first eight hours, first 12 hours, I don't know how long it was. I was completely lost. And the, the thing that's weird, because I love Dark Souls and I love this, the thing that's weird about this genre is the first half where I'm lost and weak and die a lot and terrified are when the game is at its best. And then the second half, when I know where I'm going and I'm more powerful and I don't really die, is when it's not as interesting, which, I mean, we all play Dark Souls. We kind of know that feeling, right? So it is, it is kind of weird how, like, the part that you're kind of not liking is the part that draws me so to, to this. Because mm. there are, like, so few games where you are actually lost and don't know what to do and actually fear for your life. Like, that's not a thing in games usually. Um, so sure. I really, I like welcome that feeling. Yeah, I, that, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. I, I guess I, it just got to a point where I felt like, I, I, you know, I was, I felt like I was kind of pushing into the same areas again and again, and I wasn't really getting anywhere. And then, and that was sort of, it started to feel like, am I even doing the right thing? Am I completely wasting my time? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course I, 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 I understand what you're saying. Like, of course I, 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 I am, admire when games are like brave enough to, to make you feel that way and to not kind of put just uh, waypoints gu- guiding you exactly to where you're supposed to go next or to make sure you always feel like you know what you're doing. So uh, as a philosophy, I, I definitely am, am in favor of it. Yep. And I gave up too, so I totally understand giving up. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Did either of you two play this game, Kevin? I Last year, I played some I on PC when it actually, when it first came out. Um, and... I, I'm kind of with Caro in the sense that it, I, it never reached that point with where the click happened, um, and then I just never went back to it. So, but that's that's more my fault than the games. Um, I spent you know some hours with it, and it, it didn't hit me for whatever reason. And I thought, well, I'll come back to this later, and then I never did. And then this year there were this was a, a year of Dark Souls likes, um, Souls Souls likes. Is that what we call this genre now? Like it's I a whole so. genre of its own. Because um, Unworthy came out this year, which is super interesting. It's like a black and white 2D uh, take on the genre. And Death's Gambit came out, which I think is a really super interesting game um, that I almost put on my list but then didn't. Uh, and there's another Souls-like that did show up on our list. Um, I, but I don't know if anybody's going to be nominating that or yet, so maybe we'll get to that later. We'll see. I have not played this game. But okay. it is uh, is on my list of things that I know I would like but haven't gotten to yet. And maybe the important question is: Is it on Switch? <laughs> That's it how sure I played it. Is. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm totally fine having it on this list. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you made a good case, and yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things I'm like, man, I know as soon as I start that, that's going to be a game that I want to get all the way into. I got distracted at the start because you brought up one of the games that I super want to argue for, and I was hoping you would argue for for me, but. Uh, we'll get to that one later. I I think it is a worthy addition. I, all the previous eight games I mentioned would, would probably be worth. This was a ridiculous year for um, Metroidvanias. Last year had SteamWorld Dig Two, which was great, and then like a bad Metroid, and that's about it. And then yeah. this year was just like I don't know, incredible. So good there's so many like incredible. unique takes on it because there's some again some of those games you mentioned. There's some moments of I've never seen this before. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's rad to see one in particular. But again, I don't want to show my hand. I don't want to say it yet. But yeah. I'm good yeah. adding it to this list if we want to continue and move on to the next game. All right, uh, all right. So I am going to nominate um, Florence. Um, uh, so we talked. You know, people have mentioned how some games are just so 
long. And so like you, by the time you're done with them, you're kind of exhausted because they're just like, they're just overflowing with kind of content. And Florence is, is, uh, is not that game. I'll tell you that it is a mobile, you know, experience that you can probably, I think maybe takes like 45 minutes or an hour to, to play through, but it is a really indelible, you know, tremendously memorable experience, right? It is a, it's a narrative game about a woman named Florence, um, who, whose life is kind of in the doldrums and, you know, she doesn't really like her job. You know, her job isn't exciting. There isn't much of anything going on in her personal life. And she has an encounter with a man, um, that just upends her entire world and really shakes things up. And, you know, there's a few things that the game does uh, just remarkably well that I think are are worth noting. Um, It's use of color, the way that the art makes use of color to communicate the ways in which Florence's life kind of becomes more infused with life as, um, as things happen throughout the story. Um, Also the use of music, is uh trem- is very important in the narrative but also in in your experience as as a player um but i guess maybe more than anything else what really um uh stays in my mind about this game is the ways in which it um it illustrates and um uh, communication and makes communication um interactive e- even though there's no um, like spoken or established dialogue between Florence and her partner, right? But instead, what happens is, you know, so say like on their first date um, or as in their early um, experiences, kind of interacting with each other, the um, whenever Florence speaks to um, uh, to this man that she's met, like. Um, it's kind of like a little jigsaw puzzle. You have to fill in her speech bubble with these shapes and they're kind of awkward and, you know, it, it takes a little thinking to figure out, to figure out how to, um, how to arrange them so that you have the complete speech bubble. But as time goes on and as she becomes more and more comfortable with this man, like the, the, the speech, the, the, the pieces become, you know, uh, larger. And so you only need maybe to put two in the, in the speech bubble and they fit together very neatly and easily, you know, and then maybe, maybe ultimately there's just one because it's such a symbolic and yet, and really effective way of communicating that, that, oh, Florence is becoming much more comfortable with this person and much, you know, speaking to him is becoming less of something that she has to like think about and it's becoming less like awkward and less of a chore and it's becoming more like automatic and it's flowing more easily. You as the player feel that yourself because of the way in which the game um, sort of turns it into a, a into a little mechanic. And um, it's just, um, it's just such a... Uh, a compassionate game. It's such a kind of warm-hearted and human game that really, um, you know, it has a, a lot of affection for Florence as a character, and I think for any or all of us who who maybe find ourselves kind of um, struggling at times with not feeling like our life has really come together the way we wanted it to, or just finds meeting new people kind of awkward or difficult. And um, it's just, you know, it's it's a gem of a game. It's a little lovely gem of a game that I will remember images and moments from 
um, even though it's so short, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour, I'll probably more vividly remember images and moments from this game than I will, you know, some games I played this year that I spent um, 10, 15, 20 or more hours with. Can I ask you a question about how uh, you felt in this game? Shoot, yeah. How'd you feel when Epic introduced the Infinity Blade Sword? Uh, I thought it was a really bold and interesting uh, choice. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I I appreciated that they were willing to take such a risk. I think it made the game unbalanced. I don't know. (laughs) That's the other game that starts with F. Uh, well, it's one of the other games on our list that starts with F, Tom. That's not this game. Oh, my God. You goof. Um, this is one of the games that I really wish I would have played, and I think there's going to be a theme in this game of the year list of maybe games that did something different that we haven't really seen before, but also did it in these short times. There's so many of the big games that are going to be on game of the year lists are like 100-hour experience, 50-hour experiences. I think a lot of ours are going to be like one-hour to 10-hour experiences that really have impact. And I remember it was either last year or two years ago when uh, you all introduced me to Emily is Away, which I'm not going to exactly compare to something like Florence, but it was one of those it just was like an hour or two thing that I'd never really seen before and had moments that stuck with me well after whether it because of nostalgia or smart writing and i feel like florence is gonna be one of those games that either immediately after this podcast or while i'm on christmas break i'm going to play and have these moments that stick with me similar to how they did with you carla i wow i wouldn't doubt it yeah this, this game is incredible i uh i had i switched from apple to android this year and it was it's it's been great other than i'm <laughs> i'm scared i'm gonna miss like these incredible because I don't I don't get to play Imbroglio anymore. I mean I probably miss games like this. So yeah, I love this. I love this, and I I hope they come to Android in the future. And now one more thing to add to my <laughs> list because I keep meaning to play this and I and I haven't. Um, and at first it's because I, I I'd forgotten I had an iDevice in the house because I I only use it as like a Spotify machine. So now yeah, I, I guess I think you would. Yeah, I think you would appreciate this game, Kevin. I probably would. It sounds amazing, and uh, I've heard nothing but amazing things. So I, I think that's, it's next on my list. All right, I'm adding it. That's I've been convinced. Uh, Kevin, your first game. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, to 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 add to the continuing theme of games that probably nobody but me played on this on this podcast. Uh, I'm going to nominate Frostpunk uh, for Game of the Year of 2018. And Frostpunk is a city builder, but it's not like any city builder I've ever played. It comes from the same team that made uh, This War of Mine, and it hits some of the same thematic notes, um, but it's, it's, very, it's very much its own thing. It's essentially a city builder in which uh, the last dregs of humanity is fighting uh fighting against the cold it is it is the it is a different kind of apocalypse than we're used to um they've they've essentially come across a a giant crater um where they can try to set up shop and stay warm and it begins in a traditional city builder way where you put down a few structures and you start needing to worry about how to spread warmth throughout uh, the city as it continues to grow um you don't it's not in the sense of something like SimCity, where you ha- you know you get to choose a map and you cho- you know move stuff around. Here is your crater, 
um, and this is this this is going to be your crater. It only it only goes out so far, and you're going to have to start making very very important decisions. Um, and a lot of those decisions are really heartbreaking and harsh, and get to the the crux of the matter of what it's like to actually survive in a freezing wasteland um, as the the governor or manager or whatever you are of the city uh, you end up uh, you, you send people out into the wilderness to start collecting things uh, you have to make decisions on whether it's important enough to risk their lives considering you only have so many lives to risk to go further for the for the benefit of the city you start having to make decisions about for example do i put the children to work um everybody's you know think things are getting harsher and harsher um we have a workforce there and what do i do am i willing to put the children to work for the greater good and over and over you're forced to make these kinds of decisions about what the greater good actually means to you and what sacrifices you're willing to make for it um, and a lot of those things start coming back in in really interesting ways um, that you don't necessarily expect the first time you play, but realize that you probably should have expected. If you if you start going around, you know, amp, you know, if you're trying to keep people alive um, by amputating their limbs, uh, you realize that what sounds like the humanitarian decision may not necessarily have been the humanitarian decision in the long run. Um, and it's just a game in which you're consistently trying to keep your people alive, your collective alive, at the same time trying to weigh the individual decisions and, and trying, to, trying to keep the individual humanity, uh, which is a very, very difficult thing to do in this game. And it, it stuck with me for a long time. It's a, it's a genre that you don't expect these kinds of difficult decisions in. Um, and it's because of that. It's because of the, the aesthetic value of it, because it, it made me feel so cold and so lost so much of the time. It made me feel so awful for the decisions I was forced into making um, that didn't seem to have any real good potential outcome um the, you know there it was it was there was never a non-zero-sum game involved uh in a lot of these decisions and for for making me feel so cold and anxious um frostpunk is uh one of my favorite games of 2018 i i I'm running out of time to play games but the, the problem about this podcast is it always makes me like have this massive list and I've heard of Frostpunk have not played it, but now I want to fucking play this game. Yeah. It's not really a genre that I've ever in, you know, been particularly interested in the city builder. Uh, but I've, but I, I know a lot of people who have loved this game uh, this year. Uh, it does seem like it's doing genuinely new and interesting things within that genre. Um, so, you know, that seems like something that's worth worth um celebrating it sounds a little like i can't remember the name of it do you remember that prison uh prison builder game now oh, prison architect yeah where you really have to like like there's a morality to it that like SimCity kind of ignores like the, the innate morality to like having a city and building a city and what you prioritize right. and who that hurts and who that helps so that's like 
what this sounds like to the nth degree with like child labor and stuff. This sounds really interesting and not at all fun. <laughs> it, I, I, well, I mean, you know my feelings that a worthy game doesn't have to be a fun game. No, of course. Um, I, I don't know if, if I ended up having... I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't use the word fun to describe my time with it. Uh, it would, But it was certainly tense. There were certainly moments of relief. Um, so if you define fun as moments of relief uh, that follow the, the tension that led to them, then then sure, there were moments of fun in that regard. Um but it does it does succeed in it, certain things that something like SimCity never could, um, is because even in SimCity you, you can follow your little people around and do whatever, but you never care about them. I mean, they can go die in a fire. They're just an they're an endless resource. Yeah. You know, they just kind of you know you do things right and they just start to travel in. In Frostpunk, you have to go get them. If you want new people to come to you, you have to send your your your, your explorers out to find people. Um, to bring them in, to 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 give them a home, um, and discover all sorts of other interesting things out in the wasteland outside of your city, um, and uh, so so yeah, I, I I just don't think there's anything really like it. So that's and and that's sort of my theme for the whole year. Actually, is the the games that stayed with me are the ones that really aren't like anything else. So that's a pretty great it. theme. I'm really happy because I, I feel the same way, and this is already. Again, looking at this four we already have, I'm really happy, by the way, this is going, and I'm happy it's not just like, oh, Red Dead 2 and Spider-Man and call it a day. Uh, All right, four games so far, round two then right here. I'm going to pick one that is not going to be a popular choice, but just give me time to explain. Uh, Everyone, I think EA Sports UFC 3 is one of the 10 best games of the year. Um, which is... You must be joking. This is the no, ultimate just, uphill kidding. battle. Uh, mm-hmm. But give me a chance to explain. Sell okay. it. Let me sell it. I've put maybe 200 to 300 hours into this game this year, and it's not just the time that I, is valuable to it. What's amazing about EA Sports UFC 3 is there was all those UFC THQ games that were getting closer and closer to feeling like actual mixed martial arts, which... For a lot of people, it was like too violent, too brutish, and I totally understand. But the actual artistry in there is these different layers of fighting where it's stand-up, it's it's clinch work, it's grappling, it's everything. And you never really know, in a regular fight, in the UFC or otherwise, you prepare for someone specifically and say like, all right, this guy's good at the ground, I need to train there, I need to get ready for that. Uh in the older EA Sports UFC games, which I think I actually reviewed one or two of them for GameSpot, it just would not click with me. The, the the different pieces of fighting felt so disjointed. And I kept rooting for these games because I love MMA. And this is the first game where everything comes together really beautifully. And it comes together in a way where I play online constantly. And what that means is you don't get a chance to prepare for an opponent. Someone is put in front of you who you touch gloves at the start, and then you need to figure them out. You need to understand, like, all right, they only use uppercuts, so I can't go in for a takedown. I can't swing my head low, or I'm going to get immediately knocked out, because momentum is huge in this game. If you lean left and they throw a hook, it could be a flash knockout. But if you start understanding they only throw hooks, you can duck under them and take them down. And it's this, it sounds dumb to call it, like, physical chess. But it feels like that. And as you are learning, there's no perfect technique or no perfect strategy that will overcome everyone. You need the first 30 seconds to maybe a minute to decide who you're against and how you're going to counter that. And if you can't, 
you learn by losing. You learn by saying, okay, this person dominated me in this way. Now I need to get better at that, train at that. And if you are someone like me who really appreciates what MMA is, this is the first game that feels like it. And all of it flows in a really smooth, seamless way. And even two, 300 hours in, I'm still just finding new things. I'm finding new ways to beat people or new ways to lose in a lot of cases. And uh, people are adapting along with you. So it's, I think there's, the campaign is fine. There's there's interesting modes. There's very, you know, the, you usually get sports games that have like, oh, build a team with cards and all that kind of stuff. But I really ignored a lot of that because at its core, EA Sports UFC 3 is sort of this final, really strong version of what MMA games have been trying to do. And it finally succeeds in a way that the game I will go to this year more than any when I just need to not just to get away from work, get away from any sort of situation and just play a game that I know I'm going to enjoy in small bursts is EA Sports UFC 3. And I never thought I would sit here and argue for a sports game on this specific podcast where we talk about Universal Paperclips and Emily is Away and these games that hit you on this emotional level, but just in terms of gameplay and mechanics and sort of the mind game between you and this other person who you're meeting for the first time across the cage... I think EA Sports US3, UFC 3 is special. That's my pitch. Cool. I mean, for me, like I'm, I've never been a big fighting game player because I've never felt competitive at fighting games, but um, I certainly appreciate that the best sort of fighting games are largely about kind of sizing up your opponent you know, in in as little time as possible, trying to determine on the fly what kinds of techniques might, you know, work against them, what won't, um, you know, finding their weak points, that sort of thing. And um, if, you know, if this game can continue delivering that, um, that kind of intellectual or like tactical kind of um, engagement um, after so long um then it sounds like at that you know then that sounds like they're really doing something right yeah i mean it, you you certainly made a case for it for it being good although i really am concerned about the lack of the sam raimi conor mcgregor skin <laughs> uh, god damn it. oh god it really has been weighing on me a lot uh, they, I, I feel like they really need to listen to their fans Boo. <laughs> uh, the one I mean, reason I mean, it doesn't make on. this list come on come on no no it, it, it sounds it sounds delightful it sounds like what i get out of my well i mean I, it's more of a love-hate thing i have with overwatch but it sounds like the kind of thing where where i when i need to sit down and and do a stretch of of something familiar of, of familiar gaming it's always overwatch that i pull up and it sounds like it might fill some of that same niche for you so I think I have 600 hours in Overwatch, and it's the exact same type of game for me, and this replaced it this year, which I didn't even think was possible. So you're totally right. It's one of those familiar yet new every time type of games. Excellent. So I, I have a question from the guy who's a diehard sports fan, but doesn't okay. play sports video games. Um, is this fun for someone who doesn't like UFC? Yes. Okay, uh, I'm in. I had multiple <laughs> people over on Friday, and we just did like a tournament style 1v1, and the winner moves on, and it ended up being just like P2 
people spamming flying knees and crazy spinning kicks and laughing the entire time and having a blast. Uh, and because you don't even need to take it to the ground to get more technical, you can just slug it out. It is fun for people who even think that UFC is stupid. Okay. Yeah, because like, huh. you know, one of my issues with games like Madden is that it's 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 good if you love football, but it's not like inherently fun like like Blitz, like the old football game. So yeah, no. If this is if this is something that like anyone could get into, yeah, that sounds it sounds really really cool. Yeah, I, I like physical chess, or as I call it, <laughs> chess. God damn it! Even <laughs> if this is number twelve on our list or number ten, I'm fine with it. I just it's one of those things that I needed like. It took me a lot to finally say I'm going to argue for this over some of these other ones, but this game meant a lot to me this year. So I'll add it to the list for now, and then I will pass it to Tom for his second game. Hey, Josiah, do you like games you've never seen before? Oh, please be what I think you're about to say. Because I, really I got it's... a game for you. Oh, okay. God. Return of the Oberdin. Fuck. Boom. I wanted it to be. Uh, I was like... My wife yesterday was like, "Hey, you prepared for tomorrow?" I was like, "Yeah, here's here's," and I was giving her like my pitch on on my games, <laughs> and it was like twelve seconds on Hollow Knight. It was like that kind of thing where it's just a pitch, and then it was like fifteen minutes on this game because it's like you can't you can't just like it's I've never seen anything like this before, and it is it is stunningly awesome. So this is at its core a detective game. You play uh, like an ins- an insurer act, yeah, like an insurance inspector. That's it. That's what you do. Yeah, so you're like the the dude after Carnage, who's like, but how much do I owe the people? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you go on a ship, and uh, I think there's 60 people who have died or disappeared on a ship, and you have like this is gonna sound weird. You have a magic watch, so you find a dead body <laughs> and you use the magic watch, and it like goes to black and it plays like the dialogue that happened right before that person died, and then it shows a still shot of when a person died. And you can move around it, like, three-dimensionally. <laughs> yes. Which is fucking... Yes. I mean, it's uh, it's awesome. Is like, this the I, first game awesome. that all three... That, that a bunch of us have actually played? It's, I it's, haven't, but I think the three kind of you of have. Fun. Yes. So, yes. like, the point of the game is it asks you two questions. Who was this man or lady? And how did they die? And that's the entire game. But to, like, it's kind of easy to figure out how they died, usually, because you're like, oh, that tentacled monster tore them apart. So it's like, you you know, you choose from a list. But, like, figuring out who they are is, like, crazy awesome. Because it's things like, you know, I mean, like, in the beginning, it's like, you kind of know it's the captain, and that was easy. But then from there, it's like, you relationships and, you know, someone's brother or something, or, or you pick up accents, like, things like that. And it's... It's like this crazy thing where you, where I actually had like a list of all the the characters and like trying to cross reference where they were on the ship and who they're related to and what their job was and it's like I've just never seen anything like this before because usually like games that are detective games are like multiple choice stuff but this was like it just throws you into the deep end and it's like figure out who these people are you don't really have multiple I mean there's I mean the multiple choice is like the sixty characters so you can't like brute force your way. <laughs> And it doesn't even tell you if you're right when you guess. You have to guess three correctly, and then it's like, yep, you got those right. So you don't even get, like, that immediate, like, you know, way to kind of brute force. Like, I don't know who it is. I'll try one of these five names. You can't do that with this. You have to really, like, 
think hard and analyze the situation and, and like I, I've never seen anything like this game before it like because yeah. to just say it's a detective game is just like downplaying exactly what this is this is a game that like uses logic and attention to detail to the nth degree and I absolutely adored what this was um, I think it's yeah. I think it's an absolute masterpiece and I'm I'm stunned that something like this exists <laughs> Especially oh, masterpiece! This is the first time masterpiece has been dropped no, on is. this podcast. That means a lot because <laughs> this is I a mean, genre that's been yeah. around for forty years. Like, there's been detective games forever, but this is the first one that like I really felt like a detective. It wasn't just like you know trying to put seven different sentences in like order, like that kind of stuff. It was like I am actually figuring this stuff out, uh, and it was awesome, and I, I loved it. Yeah, Ooh, I was. This I, is going to be a I discussion. Think... I think I oh, I think this game is uh, is outstanding and like especially after like the because I love detective fiction I love crime novels I love films that are you know procedurals and stuff but you know in, in games the past few years whether it's been uh, Batman Arkham Knight or you know even The Witcher Three which is a game that I absolutely loved like Geralt is often he works as a kind of detective but. I never really felt like I was doing the detecting. It's like going to Witcher view mode and, okay, you analyze the crime scene and you follow the trail or whatever. And, like, here is a game that really, yes, as Tom said, like, I felt really makes you use your powers of deduction and analysis to try to, like, rule things out and, 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 and make educated guesses. And the, the way the game looks, I mean... Um, it, it looks so good. It looks like, I mean, it's... It's obviously, I don't know, it's done in a, in a way that's meant to evoke, I think, like, um, Mac adventure, like, early black and white Mac adventure games. So you can change the filter to make it look like, whatever, Commodore or Apple or whatever. But, um, but like, I don't know, it, it, it just feels like, to me anyway, like you've stepped into this, com- into this completely different time and this very specific location where these very specific things happened and putting all the pieces together is um it's it's as tom says like it, it's it's a detective game that really makes you feel like a detective in my in my opinion i i, I love i love this game i mean yeah i'm so it's it's interesting because i've 75 percent feel like tom and caro do which is like this is a brilliant thing that's never been done before in video games like this. And I mean, I th- it has its roots sort of in like those logic puzzles that you get in the crossword books where you're told a bunch of information and you have to decide, you know, like who was where. I don't know if anybody ever played those logic puzzles in those. Yeah, I, I feel sure. like it's a like very the... extended, amazing version of that uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, but I, I ended up having two, two kind of issues that were hard for me to, to give up ultimately. Like I agree on one hand that you're like, you're putting a lot of, of logic and, and, and stuff into it. But I feel like when you get towards the end of the game, I feel like a lot of that stuff for me, at least went out, what wasn't so present there, there came a point where I felt like the educated guessing was more just like filling in slots um, it got a little tedious for me towards towards the end, and I didn't feel like I felt like that's when I wanted to feel like the most discovery. But that's actually when I felt like I was just filling in slots, hoping that something would work. Um, mm-hmm. And that, in turn, was sort of based on sort of this discomfort I have with the way the game sort of gamifies 
uh, race the way it does because of all, of all the many things that you need to consider when you're when you're putting this together often um, their their racial presentation is one of those aspects of the characters that you that you need to consider um, and because the people of color in this game are are essentially the least present characters in the main story they're often you know they're the ones that are up in the masts that don't really you know that aren't really participating um in the forefront of the story that this game is telling and so there comes a there there came a point where it's like okay now i have these four people that aren't that aren't really being part of this story that i have to identify and the of the very few things that i know about them their race is the first is the first thing, um, and and that got a little uncomfortable for me at, at some point, where I was like, I I have you know Indian characters, and you know the best way I know of dealing with this particular part of the puzzle is just to start putting in the names that that sound Indian to me, and I I felt like the way that that kind of thing was gamified in this game was sort of weird, um, but. It's it's definitely a, an incredible achievement and like nothing, so I I fully support its existence on the list even though I don't think I quite had the same adoration that a lot of other people did, but yes it's it's a worthy achievement and uh, one I mean obviously it's not just one person's work but it's largely um, a one a one person. Uh, piece of art, and that's that's pretty amazing in and of itself. Lucas Pope, way to go, dude! <laughs> have, you, have you played I, this, Josiah? I haven't. It's one of the games that people keep saying I should play, so I wish I had a stronger opinion. But it, again, it's one of I'm, I'm going to play it, and I was trying to play as much as I could leading up to this, but there's only so many hours. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Uh, but I think it's worth having on the list and. I'll be interested to see where it actually falls and what's our discussion that has, because this is one of those three people who are on this podcast have played this, which is rare. Uh, but you've made the case I'm in. It's still not the game that I was wishing you would pick, but I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> next is Carolyn, who I hope does pick the game. that I, 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 I Yeah, okay. No, all right, your game next, Carolyn. <laughs> uh, all right, so I am... Um... All right, you know, I'm finally going to bring, let's bring a legitimate blockbuster into the conversation here. Oh, man. I'm going to nominate Insomniac's Spider-Man. And, you know, I, like, I agonized over this actually a bit because, I mean, you know, so I I played this and then I played Red Dead Redemption 2, right? And in so many ways, in so many ways, Red Dead Redemption 2 is like, superior like i think in terms of just creating a world right that 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 feels like history has taken place there like like things have happened right red dead redemption 2 does a better job um in terms of having idiosyncratic characters who are who are written in ways that are really compelling uh red dead redemption 2 is superior so you know why then am I nominating Spider Man uh, and not you know right now at least nominating Red Dead Redemption two and I guess ultimately like what it comes down to I mean obviously this game of course has 
phenomenal movement mechanics, right? You're Spidey. You, you swing around the city. It's an abs- it's an absolute joy. It feels, you know, exhilarating and liberating and wonderful. Um, uh, um, but I guess what what uh, what I really appreciate about this game, what kind of put it over the top, made it just not just oh a really cool Spider-Man game, but like in my mind, like a legitimately really interesting and noteworthy game from this year, is that I think it has real heart. Like it, like this is a game that, um, you know, Red Dead Redemption Two kind of agonizes about what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good man, right? So you have Arthur. Uh, Morgan, the main character, and like, you know, he does all of these terrible, terrible things, and people are always telling him, oh, you know, you're a good, you're a good man, even though, like, it, fundamentally, I, I don't think that he is, but Red Dead, but Rockstar kind of has this need to, like, to, to, you know, get in, like, the, 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 the muck and the moral gray areas, or, you know, not even, to me, gray, like, it's just, out, he's just outright bad, but to still kind of, seek redemption and like here in 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 spider-man in peter parker like you have in my mind like a genuine portrayal of an individual who has who honestly has stuff that he has to weigh that's really heavy at times and you know and he is fundamentally a good person like in, in a way that that you rarely actually see video game characters be, like, genuinely good people. Like, I don't think Nathan Drake is a good person in the way that Peter Parker is in this game. I don't think... I it's, I'm hard-pressed to think of, like, a character in a video game who I think is as genuinely kind of virtuous as, this, as the Peter Parker of this game is. It, not to mention that this game kind of reimagines and retells the Spider-Man mythos in ways that I found surprising. Like I like like it 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 does things with established and existing characters that make them feel like interesting and fresh again. Right? This is like this is not Doc Ock as I have seen him before for instance, right? This is this is not that storyline as I've seen it play out before. Um you know, but like there's a lot of stuff around, like, the homeless shelter where Aunt May works at, right? So there there are concerns in this game about, like, the people of New York who are struggling, who are, like, legitimately struggling, who don't have money, who don't have jobs, who don't have a place to live. I was surprised by that. And, and it's not just some, like, complete afterthought. Like, it is stuff that, to some degree, is, like, woven into the game's narrative. And... So, you know, obviously, like, there's always the, 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 the famous line that we've all heard a million times about with great power comes great responsibility, right? But this game kind of examined that and I think did things with it that uh, it did that it explored that better than way, way, way better than I went in expecting it to. Um, so on top of that, not to mention it's a it's an incredibly fun, you know, game, as I said, with the great movement mechanics and everything, but it's really the narrative and the heart with which they imbued the story that for me kind of pushed it over the top a bit. Yeah. Fun fun story. Uh Spider Man was my first platinum on the PS4. Wow. So yeah, I was uh, granted it wasn't as, as, as hard as it might have been. Um, but yeah, I played the shit out of that game when it came out. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's, it's funny cause I'm, I'm mostly with Caro. Like I, ultimately I found the mission structure to be, to be sort of lacking and, and that sort of made the game well, feel I, a little. 
Yeah, uh, I actually didn't plat. I didn't platinum it because I found I, at a certain point I found like oh all the gang hideouts and the this and the that like I found that just too repetitive to be interesting. Right. But for me the 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 main story was interesting enough um, that with the benefit of the 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 narrative notes and beats that it hit as it progressed, like I found that for the most part genuinely compelling. Also, can I just say that uh, it's the best use of like text messaging, and in 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 a game that I think I've seen like the way people actually text each other, it the the, the relationship between uh, between Peter and uh, Mary MJ? Jane, yeah, yeah, was was just it was super good, and it, yeah, it, it, it is, it, yeah, and it, it like when yeah. like these heartfelt moments when he. They were texting, and he receives this. I don't want to give anything away, but he receives this text from MJ when they're kind of in the middle of, of navigating what their relationship is and 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 what it's going to be, and it's just like my heart was just like, oh my god, this is too real. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and like lots he, of real he gets moments. like he gets like evicted from his apartment. You know, it's like. Oh, this is a dude who has genuine kind of financial <laughs> worries, right? Like, which is also kind of rare, like, uh, that the game actually goes there. Like, oh, he he straight up gets evicted. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's just, he's a more human, obviously, he's Marvel. That's kind of the goal with so, with so much of what Marvel does. But I feel like this game really succeeds at making him a, a human and relatable hero who has real problems in his personal and professional life that he's trying to balance with the whole business of being also a a freaking superhero and in a world of so many open world games yeah. with endless quests it's nice to have those humans those human small moments really stand out i uh, i have a lot of issues as a tangent but bear with me i have a lot of issues with life is strange uh, season 2 mm, but sure. Uh, it does have, Kevin, you were talking about those real texting conversations. If you go through your phone, you'll see some of that mm. for high school kids. And it's like, oh, this actually sounds like how these texts would go. And it's just small touches like that because they're done poorly so often. When they're done well and they're done well in a game of this scale, I really appreciate it. And I'm only about five to eight hours into this game. And my main two, my, my main two positive points are, one, like you said, Caro, this is... There's a really good human side to this beyond just the superhero. And also, and this is obvious, but still worth saying, the movement's so incredible. I just, I, I don't want to fast travel anywhere. I just want to swing all over this city because it's fun as hell to do. The only small gripe I have at this point is he's so chatty as Spider-Man with these one-liners that I got to a point where I'm like, please oh, yeah. stop. I get sure. it. You think you're funny. Oh my God, stop saying this at every single like person you punch. But other than that, this game of all of the open, the big open world games this year, this is the one that interests me the most. So this this game doesn't even sound remotely interesting the way it's described. Because <laughs> I mean, I've I've played open world games, and sure. a lot of them are like, this is a cool idea. Like Horizon, I really I think Horizon's a really really good game. But I stopped playing after like eight or ten hours because I I I kind of got it. And, like, it wasn't doing much from, like, a mission perspective. It was like, no, that was a really cool eight hours, but now I'm done with it. Like, it kind of feels like Spider-Man ha would have similar caveats where it's like, oh, the story's really good, but, like, all the ancillary missions stink. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it might just be my, like, burnout from, like, AAA sure. 
um, open world games, but this one sounds like it would have that same kind of, no, I kind of get what you're doing here, feel that so many of even the really good ones have. And for you, it totally might. Like, I can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally, totally legit. Though I, I do, I do trust that you guys that this one is is better than some of its peers. Is this like comparable to something like Horizon, which I thought was was really really good? Mm, I mean, oh, it's hard to make that comparison. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, the gameplay is obviously so so different. Like the moment to moment gameplay is so different that it's very difficult to say. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I. I I don't think it looks as good as Horizon. Um, I, it's just, it's a very different experience. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it, I, I'd support it being there. Josiah, did you play both Horizon and Spider-Man? I did. I could, I could see where you're coming from in terms of uh, Horizon and Spider-Man both sort of have this deeper human element and this relatable element that some other open world games don't have. But I, even though I did finish Horizon, I almost burned out like you. And I'm only mm-hmm. about, you know, five to eight hours into Spider-Man, so I haven't burned out yet, thank God. But, like, I could see that happening because of the things on the side not being maybe as interesting as the core story and, and the character interaction there. But I would say it's relatable, which is why I'm really okay with it being on this list. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would have supported Horizon, so if it is, like... You know, Horizon was was new feeling and good looking and had a good story and was fresh. Like sounds like Spider Man at least taps into that. So yeah, Great. sure, let's do it. All right, let's do it. Uh, the next person would be Kevin. Uh, I think me. Oh, so I th- I think we've reached the this is Kevin's throwaway game that nobody's going to uh, allow on the list. But I feel like oh, uh, don't uh, sell yourself short. You don't know that. Yeah, don't know. But so but we've also apparently reached the triple A portion of uh, our, our discussion. So I'm going to suggest that Starlink Battle for Atlas is one of uh, 2018's best games. Um, this is one I of am Kevin's, so excited for this case. This is, this is one of Kevin's favorite games, I should say. Uh, what? Who's oofing? Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh, now I'm afraid. I should have just chosen something else. No, I knew no, this was going to happen. No, I knew this was going to happen with this. So, and this is funny because I have an intrinsic uh, dislike currently of sort of this Ubisoft formula where um, where uh, the game is basically just set set before you as a map with a bunch of icons that you go do. And so I'm going to be a hypocrite today, uh, especially because I I definitely did not like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, <gasps> wow. I know, I know. Uh, but how'd you I feel re- about Origins, by the way? I I liked Origins a lot. Okay, me too. All right. Uh, so I didn't like Odyssey. It, it, it for the same re- some of the same reasons that I like Starlink. So like I said, I'm going to be a big hypocrite today. Um, in my choosing of Starlink Battle for for Atlas, uh, if you don't know what this game is, this is a this is a uh, sort of a, a a dogfight game in which you have both uh, space that you travel in as well as five different planets that you land on and go around. You're never on foot. You're always in a you're always in your spaceship, and this is one of those we have toys that we attach to your controller type of games uh this is sort of a skylanders type thing or a disney infinity thing where there's a whole a bunch of toys that you can buy that go go along with it 
And one of the things that I love about this stupid game is one of the things that I really liked about Disney Infinity is that the toys. But what makes this more fun for me? Okay, so I I will shame shamefully admit that I've spent <clears throat> some money on these toys and have and have some sort of uh, I don't want to say emotional connection or anything, um, but I, I I like my toys. And what makes them neat for me is that you have your your sh your ships um, that you can collect, and there's uh, a peripheral that you snap onto your controller, and then the ship goes onto the controller, and then you have your little your little toy pilot, and then you put the pilot the the pilots in there, and you can swap out pilots, and uh, you can swap out the different weapons on your ship, and this is all physical, right? Um, so when I want to switch a weapon on on my in-game uh, spaceship, then I I just detach it from from my very high-quality plastic toy and snap it back on. And the thing that I like, one of the things that I like about it, um, number one, is that it is it is attached to my controller, and so I feel a little bit like an eight-year-old. Uh, in the sense that I'm going, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in the house and I'm going like with my controller because the because the, the the ship is attached to it, right? And and so there's part of what I'm getting out of it is sort of uh, sort of just a, a childlike kind of enjoyment out of it because I like the toys um, in a way that I never. You know, even really like the Skylander toys, or, or or even the Disney Infinity toys, as high quality as they were. But this this taps into that. When Kevin was a little boy, he liked spaceships, and he would run around in the he would run around in the laundromat, pushing the buttons on the things because he thought the whole building was a big spaceship, and he was making it go. Um, and so this is part of part of my my enjoyment of this game is I is that I I do think that the toys are are meaningful. Um, in, in a certain sense, and I like how it presents in the game when, you know, when I detach a weapon, um, and you have to do that quite often because some enemies are weaker to certain types of attacks, so it's like, oh, they're weak to fire, so now I have to attach my fire weapon, and so I take off my little void weapon, which is one of my favorites because I like the way it's kind of like the Halo Needler, and then I take that off, and I put on the, the, the fire weapon, and now I'm, like, kind of doing flamethrower stuff. And so yes, it's a it's a very simple kind of uh, kind of uh, argument for that part of the game why I, you know why why I love that, but it is part of it. Um, the other part is that you know like a lot of people would say, for example, that they really love Tetris Effect um, that came out this year, um, and and part of what they love is is that there's a certain rhythm, there's a certain kind of flow that you get into as you play and and. Uh, for me, Starlink is one of those games where I'm not necessarily highly engaged with it on an intellectual level, um, but I am engaged with it in on that sort of laid-back, you know, Calgon take me away level, um, and I think that it's really successful at that a lot of the time. Where I'm going in, I'm I'm doing these missions, and and part of that is sort of a strategic kind of thing where you go in and. And there are bases on the planet, and you go in and you help them out with whatever, and then you and then you cash in upgrades and so forth. Um, there, there's a little bit of a real-time strategy element, and sometimes I kind of actually wonder if the game had started um, as a real-time strategy game before it took this form. Um, but uh, overall, I, I just have a lot of fun 
Um, I think the game has a lot of personality. Obviously, it's a game that's that's more geared towards uh, younger players. Um, but that hasn't stopped me from sort of get, enjoying getting into the ship, flying off to a planet, shooting up a bunch of stuff, and having that sort of glee of detaching my weapons and putting the new weapon in. And uh, I, I sort of enjoy, except for one of them, I enjoy the, the, the pilots, the playable pilots. And and uh, I like the way the game looks. I like the way the planets look. It's like if, if you took No Man's Sky but chose the, the better-looking planets instead of the, the bullcrap that you often land on. Um, that's sort of what the planets look like. They have sort of their unique, you know, flora and fauna. And that's why Starlink is one of my favorite games of the year. So I never ask for video games for Christmas just because usually by this point there's too many games that I haven't finished yet, but this is the only game I was like, I really want to just play Starlink, so... I'm in LA and all my family is in Pennsylvania, so they're sending stuff to me. There's a a small tower of boxes to the left of me that I think Starlink is in one of these, and this makes me way more excited to actually play it. Uh, so I endorse Kevin Van Ord presents Starlink to uh, <laughs> add to this list. I um, I mean, it, of course it can go on the list. Um, uh, you know, um, I'd be remiss to not sort of share my feelings about the game i was i was pretty excited about the game i got i got the starter kit on uh on switch you know i got Star Fox. i about i bought some other toys and stuff and you know everything kevin says about i agree with everything kevin says about the toys themselves like you know they're they're cool they're well made like it's it, there's that kind of childlike fun uh you know of, of um, having the controller with the toy on it and, you know, sort of imagining that connection between the toy and the, the world of the game and everything. I just think, find the experience of playing this game, one of just crushing, <laughs> crushing sameness and shallow repetition. Like I, I, every, you know, the, the bases on the planets are, are all just cookie cutters of other bases on planets and they all want you to do similar things and the boss fights are all the same and there hasn't been like a single like you know when i think back on i mean so Star Fox characters are in this game if you play it on switch so i don't know like when i think of the better Star Fox games i think of environments levels that you play through that you fly through that are in some way memorable and distinctive right the, the you know the, the landscape of corneria the meteor the, the, the like meteor showers where you fly through husks of of wrecked ships and things like that and n no environment in this game that I, I mean that i've encountered has it in any way felt like any thing that was designed for any kind of memorable moment or experience i mean it it all feels like it could just be kind of you know no man's sky style procedural generation with like no uh personality and i just I, I in all the hours that i spent playing this game i didn't have what i felt was like a single kind of memorable or interesting like encounter or experience i you know i do not like this game um that's not to say that's uh, that's not to say that kevin's thoughts and feelings about it are, are not valid of course they are I just do not like this game. I think it, no, I do not like this game. I think you're absolutely right about most of the things you just said, actually. That's why I prefaced it with saying this. I feel like this is kind of maybe the throwaway uh, choice for me. More more that, like, I, I see what the game is, 
and mm-hmm. you see what the game is. We're seeing the same game. Right. It's just it's and you're absolutely right about all of the things that you said. Basically, um, it's but it it really is one of those. It part of it is is because of how my own gaming habits have changed and what I'm sort of seeking uh, right now, and and par- partially because. I mean, I mean, I'll just come. I'll, I'll just say that I, I think that this was a really weird year for games overall. Um, most of the, most of the games that I really enjoy, I think, are uber problematic in some kind of way. Um, or yeah, that's nothing not, new. Yeah, for I mean, me. <laughs> no, but even, but even beyond that, most of the things are things like, oh, this is a healthy six, you know, in in, <laughs> sure. in probably uh, another universe, a, a universe that that I lived in for a while. Right, um, right, right. You know, even healthy things... six is such a good way to label a game. <laughs> <laughs> but, but even you know, I, I think about the AAA things that came out this year, and and even even something like Spider Man um, that, that came out this year, and 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 of course, lots of love went to things like God of War and Red Dead Redemption Two and things like that. But honestly, all of the things that people seem to love, I felt kind of lukewarm towards, and all of the things that I loved were weird. And had some stupid things about them that were stupid. <laughs> and uh, Frostpunk being sure. maybe the one exception to that, which is like, like I don't, I feel like we were making hard choices this year. And I know we hate the yeah. word polish, but we were I making mean... hard choices this year about do we want something polished or do right. we want something that's interesting? Because those two things didn't really, or even just good. And I yeah. feel like those two things, those things didn't really go together a lot this year. I mean, I appreciate the, yeah, I appreciate the idiosyncrasy of your choice. There are not going to be many people out there arguing (laughs) that Starlink is one of the best games of the year. Uh, So I appreciate you, you know, um, having the, the, sticking to your guns on what, you know, what worked, what stood out for you this year. It's Um, one of my favorite games this year. And and so, and in no way would I say, oh, this is one of the best games of the year. But if in, in that sense that I see what it is. But I'll be damned if it wasn't one of the games that I enjoyed the most anyway. So that's why that's why it's it's on my list. I actually think that reasoning kind of encapsulates this entire list and this entire process we've done for like three or four years. Is like I wouldn't even sit here and argue this is the best game of the year, but it's one of my favorite games, and I I think that's what makes this list fun. I I think there's something to be said for like using your imagination and having fun with it, like as if you were a child. Sure. Like, I just like, not to disparage Caro, but we're all up our own asses with video game talk. Like, that's just how we are, because we we are so yeah. into this that we just dissect everything, and that's oh, like, sure. I mean, that's like, I, that's like it. No, and it's not even it's not insult too. That's how I speak. speak but I mean, I speaks. also I would I but, would also argue that kids yeah. that young people deserve a better game than this. Like, a, like I think that a game can appeal to one's imagination and everything. And still, the game itself can be better than this game. I, I, I'm not trying. I don't think that those two things are at odds with each other. No, like, no, that's I, I, yeah, I, that I, makes I, sense. I appreciate that, but certainly, of course, I do. I'm, I'm very yeah. big on games that engage the imagination. Um, but I mean, but yes, I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I just understand. I guess I understand the idea of like Kevin's like. Yeah, I haven't course. played this game, by the way. Of Kevin, like, of I understand this game has 87 problems, but it's still clicked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of cool having a game like that, I guess. Yeah. It, it also sounds cool, even though it's repetitive and kind of dumb, but the, the ship stuff sounds fun. <laughs> uh. 
I think if I've you already play added it, you Kevin Van Orn presents Starlink to our way. list. By the way, I know this feels like something. I wish I wish my son wasn't twenty months old and was yeah. five okay. years old, and then he could play this, and I could have fun vicariously. You know, I, don't know. I assume bar- he's pretty advanced for his age. He can still now. try. Tom, get it in the bargain bins now. No. Yeah, I mean the game was not successful. So as far as I know, so it's, no, no, it was very, it was it flopped. That's yeah. They well, after so, this yeah. podcast, it's going to have a heavily. resurgence. Don't you worry. Yeah. You know. That's we're going to turn this entire series around because we have ta- now talked up Starlink more than maybe any other podcast has talked <laughs> up Starlink. Um, all right, so I feel like every single year when it gets to this point where I have to choose the last one, I always have like, okay, these are the three I'm going to go to war for. I am all in. There's like three games I still really want to see on this list, but I only have one choice left. I think everyone should play Yakuza 6 because it is just it's so much heart and it is some of the side quests are better than any open world main quest and I will cry if Yoku's Island Express doesn't end up on this list but I to stay true to myself I, my last choice is a uh, Dragon Quest 11 and oh, uh, nice yeah anyone awesome. who knows me knows that like my first ever GameSpot feature was about Final Fantasy 8 because I'm obsessed with turn-based RPGs I have just this soft spot for JRPGs in general, and I'd fallen off because there hadn't been a lot of good examples of those in a modern context. And I think no game does that better and reminds you why you love not just the series, but the genre as a whole. The Dragon Quest XI, I had kind of tagged Nino Kuni 2 in my brain as this is going to be the game that is going to like scratch that JRPG itch. And I think Nino Kuni 2 is great. But Dragon Quest XI does the thing that is so incredibly hard to do where it will take this thing you loved when you were younger and make it feel not just not just like as good, but even better than you ever remembered it. Uh, there's just like from the run speed to the air travel to just the simple act of opening a menu, pressing square button, you immediately heal everyone in your party using spells. Dragon Quest XI understands all the annoyances of classic JRPGs and just gives you shortcuts to fix them, but still allows you to do all the things that you loved. And that's, that is going through dungeons. That is a certain level of grinding without getting annoying. That is managing a party within a battle and going through a story where, yes, maybe you are saving the world, but the little moments between all the characters are worth seeing. They're worth seeking out. And the game gives you time to learn the backstory of some of these incredible characters like this, um, this essentially prince style person whose father is this super aggressive war hero type of guy. But instead, he joined the circus and now leads this troop of random circus people. And his you, you learn about his strained relationship with his father or these other characters who just went through crazy things with their family and now they're on your party and you learn more about them. And I still think there's an issue with silent protagonists where there's still the awkward, you got to go save the world. How do you feel about this? And you give like the death stare and then the guy's like, great, awesome, let's do it. But the, the actual surrounding cast is so interesting and the surrounding story is so interesting. It's a gorgeous game and it's just... Man, I love massive JRPGs, and this is one of the few times where I just took the time to go all the way through one. It has an almost sphere grid style Final Fantasy X progression system as well, so there's a lot you can do to customize your characters. And there's like, you know, just again, simple, easy things like optimize your equipment, optimize this, optimize that. Uh, it, it scratches the itch without annoying you. 
And it is one of those games that I'm 50 hours in and there's still, I essentially have seen the quote unquote ending, but there's a post credits long chunk I still need to do. Just from that, I, I fell in love and I really think Dragon Quest XI belongs on this list. Hey, it's not Octopath Traveler, so I'm in favor of it. <laughs> I feel like that one might be the opposite of the argument I was making uh, from everything like, that people have told me. Well, I mean, obviously a lot of people love it. I think it's I think it's a complete failure. I, yeah. Well, I, a lot of people not... are wrong, so, you know. Well, you know. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> that's beside the point. I was just making a joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, Cool. Yeah, it was either this or Nino Kuni 2, and I think Dragon Quest XI is a better representation of what JRPGs should be going for now. So, what platform? So just, oh, sorry, just real no, quick. No, 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 please, platform? go on. Did, did, did you play it on? Uh, PS4. Nice. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, so I played, I don't know, 20 hours before I was like, this is the most JRPGs JRPG <laughs> that has ever JRPG'd. Um, I, I got to the point where it it didn't it lost its sparkle um and it begins with sparkle for me because it's very pretty to look at um mm -hmm. but ultimately it lost its sparkle for me because it just felt like it was hitting all the same beats that i was used to it was very much an old game and mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing but i think i find myself i found myself gravitated this year towards except maybe for the last game that I brought up um, <laughs> games games that were games that were interesting and ultimately I found this one to be a, it was basically the archetype of of the JRPG and I felt like I just like I knew this what this game was sure. doing and and so I just kind of like eh, I'll just move on and also can we just talk about how shitty that soundtrack is but that's that's okay, that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack is a, a crime. Like it is really bad and very repetitive and makes you in a game where you're grinding, you don't want a, a soundtrack that is also a grind and it, it has that major issue. And I think it's a total valid criticism to say this is a JRPG ass JRPG because uh, <laughs> it is in a lot of senses. But I also think that as someone who loves that genre and it hasn't been done extremely well recently at this budget and this scale, uh, I think way back when we, the first time we did this, I brought up the Ratchet and Clank remake that was based on that movie, but it was also based on the first game. And what that did so expertly was essentially it's the same thing you've seen before, but it modernizes things in subtle ways that makes it feel like you're experiencing it again for the first time. And even if Dragon Quest Eleven hits a lot of those notes, it felt like that for me where I was like, oh, I'm reminded of why this shit is so important to me and so valuable to me and i understand that maybe that is that can be dull because it's been done but i was just ready for a game like this no i totally get it totally get it especially because i actually was pretty disappointed by nino kuni 2 after absolutely loving the first one okay so, i'm happy we're on the same page nino kuni so, 1 is better than nino kuni 2 yes very much so 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 i get like you you're, you're really waiting for that that jrpg to come and yep. it came out and whether whether or not it's comforted comforting or expected Sort of, it just comes down to who you are and your point of view going into it. So I totally get yeah. it. I totally get it why you would love it. It is officially on this list, and we have three games to go. I really wish Dragon Quest was on the Switch. It's coming it to the Switch, awesome. right? Is that on the Switch? Is it coming? Oh, is it? Uh, hold on. Dragon Quest 11 Switch. It has to. This is the perfect Switch game. Seems um, like it. It's been announced. 
the internet told okay. me so. Yes. So, it, yeah, it, so I'm it looking forward to that. And then, like, Persona 5 is inevitably coming to Switch, so it'll be the, like, JRPG system in 2019, I guess. Yes. I prefer, I know it. maybe it's crazy to say, in terms of JRPG scratching an itch, I think Dragon Quest XI is better than Persona 5. But you should play both if they come out on Switch next year. Okay. Done and done. Uh, Tom, this is... Uh, you're my last hope for Yoku's Island Express to get on this list, but I fully understand if you don't want to do that since it is your choice and not my choice, but it is your choice. This is Here you go. This is your last game. It's not going to be Yoku's. I really like Yoku's Island Express. It's so good. It's not going to be Yoku's. It's like the platforming pinball. Okay, sorry. Keep going. I know. It's really good. Okay, so last night I was at an arcade, which was a hellish experience. I would not recommend it, but I... Uh, <laughs> don't go to arcades. Just this, just this one I didn't like. Uh, it's like really loud music. How are you supposed to? Okay, never mind. Um, so I was playing Galaga, and I got pretty far. I was like level ten. I was very proud of myself. Uh, and when I was done, I was like, I don't think games have gotten better than this from an action standpoint. Which sounds crazy, but I kind of stand by it. So this is this is kind of continuing off of this. Uh, Tetris effect is magic. And like it's it's just Tetris, but um there's never been a better puzzle game than Tetris. And then it's combined with just what's that dude's name who's behind these games? Uh right. The Yeah, the Rez the, and uh Luminous yeah. guy. Yeah. So it's 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 you know it's that guy who like loves synesthesia and he loves like pushing your senses and combining visual and auditory and it's so this is this does the stuff he's done before and it's just it's just extraordinary like it's a game where you you lose hours and you don't realize it because you're just kind of in a trance and I just really respect when there's like an old game like we we love pac-man championship edition stuff like that like an old game that's just like brought back to the modern realm so we understand the gameplay is still incredible and has not been topped but with all the modern accoutrements which makes it like irresistible even in the face of something like you know spider-man or red dead or these like incredibly high budget incredibly looking games like this still stands up next to those because the core gameplay has never been topped and it's it's still as good as it was in 1989 when i was playing it on the game boy like it's just an incredible game that looks and feels and sounds incredible um and it's well worth 40 dollars by the way so i don't know if anyone else played this game but i thought it was good yes i definitely played it and it is very good I, I haven't played it, but I know that I, I know that I will love it. I kind of, I kind of. You don't have PSVR, do you, Tom? No, I've not played it in VR. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. I, I do, I, and I want to play it, and I've not played it yet. But that is something I plan on doing over the holidays: is playing this I've game. I've heard in VR. it's just all amazing in VR. Like yeah, like transformative kind of like holy shit moment. Uh, I'm happy this is on the list because I feel yeah. like it's. <laughs> It deserves to be. It's again. It's one of those. I know I would love this, even though I haven't played it. 
uh, type of games. And yeah, I it, even though it's not Yoku's Island Express, I think it belongs in this list. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like weirdly reluctant to play this because I was like, it's Tetris, and then I played. I was like, oh, it's Tetris. Like, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Like Tet- Tetris is still really good. So that yeah, trailer this is, this with the song. I forget what song it is. I oh man. I've watched the trailer like 40 times just because the song is so fucking good. Uh, I, again, this has nothing to do with the actual game as much as just I love the style of it. It has such a look and such a feel to it. I also love when it's like a like a really obvious idea and it comes out and you're like, why didn't someone else do this already? So like th- those kind of games always t- tickle my fancy. So yeah, here we go. Perfect. This year's Pac-Man CEDX. Yeah, it's on the list, which means we only have room for two more, and I'm going to pass it to Carolyn to do your last game. Okay, so ever since I was really young, one of the things I think that's kept me coming back to games is a thrill at finding worlds to engage with that feel in some way alive or un, you know unpredictable. They feel... Like there's there's some kind of possibility there or some kind of magic, you know, infusing them. Um, and this year I encountered a game that that in its own way does that as well or better than any other game I've encountered. And it wasn't a game that I expected to to even attempt to to do this particular thing. But um, I'm talking about Fortnite. Um so, you know, a lot of people... Oh, holy of course, shit, I did not expect this. I'm sorry. This is this is the biggest no, I, surprise of this yeah. entire podcast. So, Fortnite, right? I mean, uh, everybody knows, like, it's a battle... I mean, okay, well, now it's primarily known as a battle royale. And you have... It has, like, the... It has these building elements that set it apart from, say, PUBG. Um, but that isn't why... I keep coming back to it. I mean, of course, you know, that, that stuff is definitely, like, exciting. Um, but it's because of the context in which the game places it that really, uh, that, I, that I think makes Fortnite something sort of extraordinary. You know, um, I don't know if, if y'all are aware. So, so Fortnite has, like, this seasonal structure now, right? And so um, at a certain point, um, a few months ago, right, like, this, this giant cube just like appeared in the world of Fortnite, right um and then like over the next uh, few weeks it, it the the cube very slowly like moved all over the island you know and um and these spots on the island became like corrupted and and uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, eventually, uh, around Halloween, uh, the cube kind of uh, resulted in all these kind of zombie-like creatures all over the island and stuff. And um, and but it was just this thing. It was like this unexplained, this entirely unexplained sort of event. There was no like lore dump associated with it. There, there wasn't like epic kind of spelling out the meaning of it or anything like that. It was just this this bizarre kind of magical thing that like that happened um and uh but like that's a large scale example right um but i want to be clear that it's not just in terms of those large scale things that that the the world of fortnite is always kind of shifting and evolving like there are the, the the world in 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 all these like small ways is kind of constantly 
in a state of flux, right? It is, um, you, you know, you might, uh, 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 there's this area um, called Wailing Woods, for instance, where um, at a certain point, like this massive underground bunker just like appeared in Wailing Woods. And um, all, like all, just all over the place, things are constantly kind of shifting and evolving. And, um, and, and I just, I love that so much because, and I love that it isn't some, you know, it isn't some like explicit thing that Epic says like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce this. It's going to have this impact. It's all, it's, it all just happens. Right. And, and that just makes it feel all the more kind of magical and it makes the world feel all the more alive that it isn't some kind of. Um, it's not like, you know, in a WoW expansion or something where every change that is um, implemented feels like it has some kind of function that, you know, for quests or for, um, you know, narrative, like a specific narrative that's backed up by other narrative that's backed up by all this lore or whatever. It's just like strange things happening. Um, I, I, I think it's amazing that Epic is... is is handling, you know, what is one of the most popular and certainly lucrative games in the world right now in this kind of um, risky way that they're that they're implementing these kinds of changes in the world, um, these experimental things, these risky things, these unexpected, strange, and just wondrous and bizarre things. And um, like, obviously, Fortnite didn't come out this year, um, so putting it on the list of the year's best. Uh, you know, may seem to go against the conventional wisdom of you only nominate what came out. There. But I, for me, Fortnite really came into its own this year and um, really established itself as uh, a, a truly uh, fascinating and special uh, and special game. Yeah, and if there's one thing we've established, it's it's fuck conventional wisdom and the way that things are normally done. So like, I, it is incredible. It is. It, Epic takes risks with a game that maybe they could just be like, well, let's just keep the, this formula is working. Just keep doing it. I love the idea of this seasonal storytelling and the mysteries that come along with it. And even if Fortnite is the first game that's ever made me feel old because I'm just getting thoroughly owned by people who are oh, younger I'm, and yeah, totally. It, it's, 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 it's incredible to me, but it's uh it is a special thing that, has changed so much in 2018 and even though this is actually the last game i thought you'd bring up Kara, like that's why i'm just shocked by this but happy you did and yeah. i think it does deserve to be here the f see i i can't handle this pressure honestly uh, all right let uh, me there's a game called yoku's island express that you might want to consider putting on this list i have not considered putting it on my list i haven't played have it. you played it it's such no, a kevin game is it really i think it really could be it's wow. not a Kevin game at all. Stop, not even a little bit. It's it's super good though. It's pinball Metroidvania. Why wouldn't that be a thing Kevin would like? That's what I'm doesn't saying. Strike, doesn't strike me as a Kevin game. It's extremely beautiful. Great soundtrack. All right, Prove sorry. Us wrong, choose Kevin. your game. This is this is your time, not all my right, time. This is, this is my okay. My, <laughs> that's that's all right. Well, my final game is Yoku's Island Express. Yes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My final game is uh, Mutant Year Zero: Road to Eden. Ooh. Uh, what? what? Who's laughing? Oh, Mutant Ever? Year Zero. Mutant Year Zero. Yeah, okay. Mutant. What did you think yes. I said? 
Mutineer Zero. Oh, that would be fun. I would totally <laughs> that might be a better game. I've heard Mutineer of this game. Zero. What is Mutineer Zero? <laughs> My final game. Isn't this is... the XCOM like game? It is. Okay. Uh, so this is Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden. Um, that I think is actually a really special game for a lot of reasons. It's easy to make the comparison to XCOM because its its basic combat is more or less similar to what we've seen with the, the modern XCOM games, uh, which is it's turn-based, um, there's cover, you, you more or less see kind of the percentage chance you have to hit. You have relatively few options uh, during any given term, turn with any given... Uh, character but I think that that's sort of where the comparison with other games ends because there's so much more to it first of all there's there's the stealth um, because you're not just going in there and it's it's not just like okay you go in and it's suddenly a grid battlefield and that's it it's it's you know it's it's free exploration you go in um, you have a flashlight that sort of makes it seem like sort of a, an isometric Alan Wake sometimes. Um, it's super cool and atmospheric, and you're you're going around, um, and and you you need to collect things. Um, so there's an RPG element as well because you go out, you collect scrap, you go out and you fill in story by uh, by investigating things like crashed spaceships that have fallen and and things like that. Um, and then as you get closer and closer. Um, to an enemy encampment, um, you can see they're not quite vision cones, but they're more like an area of awareness cone. And you 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 can start. You you need to scout. Um, you need to set up where you're going to put your 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 combatants. Um, you can sometimes pick off enemies uh, silently if they go outside of the sort of the the awareness of other enemies. And sometimes that's super important because the game is super hard. Um, in in certain ways, uh, so you so you have to plan everything out. But it's not just a matter of okay, once you get out of the grid, shit just starts going down. You have an opportunity to really scout around to plan for it. Um, the other aspect that I really really love is the 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 tone that they strike here. So you're you you start the game with this is this is an apocalyptic world, right? So um, you have you have mutants. But in this case, mutants are sort of like, you know, like, think about Paige, Paige from uh, Beyond Good and Evil. Um, sort of like, okay, it's a talking pig, right? So, like, one of your first characters is a talking pig. And the other, the other character that you're going around with when you first start is a talking duck. And it sounds ridiculous when I say it, but what makes the game work so well is how perfectly seriously it takes itself. Uh, it's super moody. It's always tense, and it's not to say that it doesn't have humor because it does have some humor. Um, but what makes it work for me so utterly and completely is that you absolutely buy that these creatures exist in this world and do the things that they do. It, there's sort of a weird like uh, Animal Farm noir <laughs> thing going on mm. to the tone. Um, that, that might just, be my favorite description of anything ever is Animal Farm Noir. <laughs> like, that, that sold me on this. And it just absolutely works. And so the game is is tense all the time because you're exploring, you're trying to stay out of the sight of enemies until you're ready to engage. Um, and because the game is hard, it abs you absolutely have to make sure that things happen on your terms rather than theirs. Otherwise, you'll be absolutely slaughtered. Um, 
but then when combat does begin, it's really fun. You have to take in, into account every single move that you're making with every single unit that you have on the screen. Um, and then there's that relief when it's over, and people don't just heal at the end of battle, so you have to make sure that you, you know, they don't just heal up. Not not on my difficulty mode that I'm playing anyway. And so I have to conserve health packs, and the gameplay is good. The story is really good. You know, it's it, it's and the tone is absolutely spectacular to me. I I can't believe that this game works in t tonally because you look at it and you don't think that it will. You think it's just going to be it's going to try for serious and it's going to absolutely fail because it stars talking pigs and ducks and foxes and and stuff. And instead, it's absolutely brilliant in my mind and uh, one of my favorite games of 2018. I immediately when I saw this game start like the metacritic and everything like that and started seeing people talk about it, I reached out to them to set up a podcast and we're working on it now because I think this looks rad. And I love the formula of XCOM and similarly with Valkyria Chronicles. And if you add a, a duck and a pig, I'm already sold. <laughs> uh, this game looks incredible. Um, yes. And they even yeah, talk like noir characters, you know, like noir, like from the old noir oh, films. It's like they talk with that, you know, that, that weird sort of self-serious tone and everything's all very uh, I, I just love it i love it I love it's great it. I, that's man sorry okay. caro I, I didn't mean it no 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 it's fine i i was just gonna say like i have a certain wariness around this genre because i'm not t typically very good at these games and i've never i mean I, I it's more like i can appreciate them in the abstract but have rarely really you know enjoyed actually playing them but yeah i mean this game is just stylistically it looks super original and neat um you know, again, it it uh, it it seems like a pretty cool game from what I've from what I know of it, from what I've seen of it, and from what I've read about it. So, definitely seems you know deserving to me. I've added it. All right, Mutant Year Zero is on this list, which means it's really good. We have yeah. twelve games, and this is the first time that we've ever done this where I look at this list and I could not immediately decide what like the top three were because I feel like we're all high on certain games but there's not like a clear i think bloodborne was our first winner and then it was overwatch mm. and then tom was thrilled about that one <laughs> yeah that was a conversation <laughs> and oh okay so tom just added yoku's island express the 13th game of the top 12 and i'm saying that probably wins like <laughs> there's a top 10 and then there's the real winner i so let me read this list without Yoku's Island Express. Uh, <laughs> so the top 12 we have are Moonlighter, Hollow Knight, Florence, Frostpunk, EA Sports UFC 3, Return of the Oberdeen, Spider-Man, Kevin Van Ord Presents Starlink, uh, Dragon Quest XI, Tetris Effect, Fortnite, and Mutant Year Zero. And uh, just really quick, I was putting together what I think that top 10 might look like. And let me just read it out loud. And if I'm exceptionally off base, let's talk. So based off what everyone's been saying and the passion for certain things, the current order I have this is the game of the year is Tetris Effect, followed by Florence, Return of the Oberdeen, Moonlighter, Hollow Knight, Mutant Year Zero, number seven, Fortnite, number eight, Spider-Man, number nine, UFC 3, and number 10, Frostpunk. And let's at least start there and start messing with this list. That would take the two that I took off were Dragon Quest XI and uh, Starlink. 
I mean, that, that seems, works for me, but I'm that not, seems fair. Obviously, yeah. oh, I'm not going to uh, fight for Starlink. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly, but sure. yeah, it's, I, I realize that that's a very, it's a very interesting choice. Yeah. And this, this is just like based off passion and based off the arguments people were making. I think this is kind of how I felt by the end, but if anyone would like to move some stuff around and fight for something to be higher or lower, we could totally do that. Cause this is, maybe this is the least important part of the conversation. The, the real important part is like, let's talk about games that we think are fucking rad. Yeah. But, uh, oh, someone's moving something. Okay. So like, I don't want to bring up an old grudge, but at GameSpot, I was like, Minecraft should be in the top 10. And everyone's like, no, it shouldn't. Um, Minecraft should have been in the top 10. Fortnite should be in the top two. Okay. Fortnite is yeah. like people's childhood. Yeah. Like that's yeah. important. Yeah. Like we like I to agree. recognize right. like this game is it's and it's also moved beyond a game. Like it's where people hang out. Yeah. Like it is it is like It's a cultural phenomenon. It's yeah. It's it's uh mechanically it's like, or completely original in the way that it fuses the building of uh, you know, maybe we could say stuff like Minecraft to some degree with, you know, or t- t- a genre that in which that stuff was previously absent from entirely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I just think it's, a, it's a very um, important game. <laughs> and I it's, and, it, and I think it's really easy to brush it, brush it aside as like the popular thing, but it is like, it is like Facebook combined with a playground complained with like. Lego. Com- I mean, it's just it's it's people's childhoods. It's it's everything. If there um, wasn't the Infinity Blade, would it be number one? If <laughs> this game was actually balanced. Would we have this above Tetris effect? Oh, thank goodness the Infinity Blade's been taken out. You know, okay. Can't, can't well, have those those imbal- imbalance issues. Um, yeah, I, I I would. I mean, um, I think Florence could. I mean, I love Florence. Um, I think it could go a little. I mean. I, you know, I wouldn't object to it being below, say, you know, Return of the Oberdan or a few of those other games. Like, I, I think that um, it's recognition. You know, I, mm. I. But I don't know. Okay, Tom. Tom. Tom goes. Hmm, Tom. Let Tom. No, that was me. Because if you want to make that, I mean, I would love Moonlighter to be higher. But I was trying to be diplomatic. Sure. No, I mean, go, I mean, I haven't played Moonlighter, but you know, you you uh, really think it's obviously like exceptional. I, I would not object to you swapping Moonlighter and Florence, their spots on the list. You know, person, as the person who nominated Florence, like, I I think that um, it's still going to be, obviously, highly acclaimed in the top five of our list, so that's... I'm going to swap that before you change your mind. Oh, uh-oh. Well, I mean, Kevin can tell me if I'm crazy about this, but I'm putting um, Frostpunk ahead of Mutant Year Zero. Does that make sense, Kevin? Yes. Um, I. It's funny because I would say that of all the games that I mentioned, Frostpunk is the one that hit hit all of the buttons for me this year in terms of, you know, here is a game that's super interesting and not really like other things, but was also executed masterfully, um, so that it wasn't a it wasn't a difficult choice. In other words, I, I didn't have to yeah. make any, have to forgive lots of things to say Frostpunk is amazing. So, yeah, I think that's important. The idea of like 
this game is great if you ignore XYZ. Um, yeah, Frostbite doesn't seem to have that. Tetris might not have that. Like, it's it's important to kind of think about that. Um, that these games are, like, legit great without any caveats. Right, right. Do you want me Except to maybe for the caveat that it's Tetris. It's a pretty big. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, we've we've played Tetris. Sure. So, I mean, I mean, but I, I mean, I love Tetris Effect. So don't, please, don't take. I'm just being the, the asshole, that has to say it. Yeah. I, oh, I think we have to say it. Uh, what if I let me read this list out again, and see how we feel about it. Uh, so, the number one game of the year, Tetris Effect, followed by number two, Fortnite. Number three, Moonlighter. Number four, Return of the Overden. Number five, Florence. Number six, Hollow Knight. Seven, Frostpunk. Eight, Spider-Man. Nine, EA Sports UFC 3. And ten, Mutant Year Zero, with the two honorable mentions being Dragon Quest XI and Starlink. <laughs> that's that's great. That's a fantastic list. That feels frankly. pretty good. Yeah, I have, yeah. No, I have no objections. I'm willing to sign off on this list. Can we right. can we agree that Return of the Oberdin has the best name of the year? Oh yes, definitely. yes, for sure. <laughs> oh, definitely. Are you sure it's not Kevin Van Ord presents Starlink? Because I might endorse <laughs> that one as the best name of the year. It's pretty good. Look, I really like Starlink, <laughs> and I'm not going to apologize for it. Don't. You shouldn't don't have to. I'm all in. I'm I fucking. I'm excited to play it. I'm locking this list in. Uh, this has been. I, I love doing this every single year, and it always reveals just games that are weird and crazy and interesting and make you think about games differently or make you experience something you haven't before. And last time, uh, Tetris Effect, the game of the year, followed by a list of incredible games. What a strange... Like, I knew that this was going to be a really weird selection of games that we were going to have this year, just by nature of sort of the the stuff that came out. So I'm actually really happy. <laughs> Yeah, this I had no idea how this was going to turn out. Um, I the only regret is Yoku's Island Express, which everyone should play. Like that game is really something else. I never thought a, a pinball game would be like one of the games I'm thinking about the most by the end of the year, but it's really special. Yeah, and it's on Switch. Yeah, well, that's it's great. Tetris Effect isn't on Switch, right? That's just PlayStation. Yeah, yeah PlayStation. Okay. Are you sure you don't want to change that? Is that going to be a big issue for you right now? <laughs> you want to make one last Splunky case before we wrap it up? Are you excited about well, Splunky 2? Yeah, that'll be game of the year in 2019. Okay. Should I just already already type that into the document? <laughs> it's, yeah, it seems pretty cut and dry. All right. Well, on that note... Uh, Kevin, people could find you on Twitter at FiddleCub, correct? Yes. Yes. Carolyn, you are Carolyn Pettit. Carolyn Michelle. Oh, man. Two okay. L's. And Tom, you're at Tom McShay. Correct. I'm at Josiah Renaudin. Uh This is one of my favorite things to do every single year. I listen to all of you on GameSpot Podcast for the longest time. So every single time we get to do this, I'm just like, this is fucking rad. And I was always the person calling into the hotspot and sending crazy emails. So it's ah! like, this is always a oh, pleasure for me. You. It was me. I can't uh, believe you've done this finally. for years and it was you all along. <laughs> the real so, detective game was this. Yeah. yeah. 
this is this is a pleasure for me every single year. So no, it's it's fun. It's so much fun. So I think yeah. I think we all really enjoy the opportunity to do it. Always. We like some weird fucking games, and that's totally fine because the weird yeah. fucking games are sometimes the best games. So thank you everyone for listening, and hopefully. You tune back in next year for the next crazy edition of this Game of the Year podcast on the 1099.